It's the Morgan Evans More or Less Pickleball podcast coming at you in three, two, one, boom. My guest today is a top player, and he's exactly what you'd hope for. He's tall, good-looking, full head of hair. Uh, That's just kind of annoying. Anyway, we're going to talk about the state of the game and his game. So listen up for the pulse of Pro Pickleball, or if you're interested in the making of a champ. Either way, please welcome Mr. Patrick Smith. Oh, he's also kind of Kiwi, but don't hold that against him, all right? Patrick, how you doing, mate? Oh, not too bad. How about yourself? Yeah, still still recovering from the tournament. It takes me a little longer these days to rest up and rehab. What about you? Yeah, a bit of the same. Maybe more the ego than anything else. Other than that, yeah, not too bad. The body feels pretty good, surprisingly. Yeah, back-to-back days are always kind of, uh, at least for me at my age now, kind of tougher. Yeah, for sure. Well, you're, uh, I think, a year younger than me. You're 36 turning 37. Is that about right? Yeah, correct. Right, yeah, it's, it's annoying how you know pickleballtournaments.com always tells you what age you're gonna be. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's yeah, it's like when you ask a child, they always tell you what they're about to turn. Right, I think pickleball tournaments just treat us all like children. Yeah, I wish I would say thirty-five, even though I'm thirty-six. <laughs> all right, so you uh, you've just finished Newport this year already. You've racked up a bunch of medals. It looks like you're finding some good form with your partner Jusseline de Villiers. How long have you two been joined at the hip, so to speak? Well, he's the reason I started pickleball. He kept bugging me for the longest time. I mean, you know, Matt and Lucy live in Wichita, and uh, for the longest time I kind of knew about it. That I knew that they were playing. That Jack Oxlow back then asked me to play every now and then. I just said, nah, I'm not really that interested in this old guy sport. And pretty much now that I started playing, I kind of had to eat my words because it definitely is not an old guy sport. It's a young man's game, especially at the high level. So when Chicken Pickle opened up, he kept bugging me as a friend. To, uh, he needed an extra couple of bodies for the competitive league. And I said, I've never played before. I really don't want to play. I can't commit because of work. Then I think a couple of weeks before, the week before the deadline, he asked me again. I said, okay, as a friend, if you really need somebody, I'll find a buddy and I'll play the league if you really need somebody. And kind of got hooked a little bit. And then at the end of that session, he said, do you want to play some tournaments? And I said, sure. How many? And he goes, well, at least 10. And I'm like, you're joking. I have a real job, mate. How are you supposed to, you know, how am I supposed to do that? pull that one off? But I figured out a way to make it work. A lot of these are, you know, Saturday, Sunday, so I can fly out late Friday night and then come back and take the red eye back or take a vacation day here or there, which I have to do for these, so I take a couple of vacation days. But uh, yeah, I'm playing 20 plus tournaments, so. That's amazing. And, you know, I've never really played with anybody else other than him. I mean, a couple of tournaments here and there. I played some with Rob Nunnery, and, which was the first time, I think, playing without him. And then uh, Steve Deacon this year once. Yeah, but other than that, it's always been my French pickleball boo. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot to be said for that and growing as a partnership. I think you can achieve more in the long run if you if you stick it out and really get to know each other's games like the back of your hand. It's there's something about that. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, and and the one thing that we you know if you take COVID out of it, we've really only got about a year and a half of tournament experience, so we were still really really new to it. And part of the success that we've had this year alone is contributed to a us individually learning understanding the game better learning the game better and trying to take the tennis mindset out of it and really play more pickable and then obviously we gel together better like you just said we do know each other's game we don't butt heads in the middle as much anymore as we did you know early on uh, we both are pretty 
big personalities and we, mm. you know, you try, I try to take my, as, as a more mature one, I took the more mature high route, took my ego out of it. And I figured it was a little bit easier for me to take a step back rather than getting him at, as a young buck and his French side to take a step back and not be as aggressive in certain situations or let him just take the medal sometimes or more often and just tends to work out a little bit better these days. Yeah, it, there's definitely often a, a time where one of the players in a partnership has to be the one that adapts and kind of allows the other person just to, you know, be who they need to be to feel like they can perform their best. And it's it's not easy for the one that's like, well, I'd like to be able to do this, this and this, but I'm being forced to kind of just revolve what style I bring to the table to you know, what you need to do. And it's it's the bigger man that's able to do that. Well, yeah, for sure. But him being the younger one, you know, I get asked all the time, you know, he does the better player play the strong side and left side. And so generally that's a, that's correct. But you know, I don't think we see each other as I'm better or he's better. It's just the way this partnership works out to be. I mean, he is so athletic, definitely quicker than me. He's a little more deceptive than me. I'm probably more consistent and my hands are probably a little quicker. So for us, we'd like to stack me in, or put me in front of the strong side player. Mm. I think they're a little less likely to pull the trigger early on on me yeah. versus him. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, that's really our secret, honestly. If it's really a secret, I don't think it's a secret anymore. <laughs> uh, plus, he has his French flair in it, and uh, you don't want to contain that too much because that makes him dangerous. Oh, yeah. You never quite know what's going to happen with him. Well, I don't know either. You know, personally, even standing next to him or battling it out, I don't know either what's going on. So that's the problem and that's that's often been the problem with myself and and uh, various partnerships i'm so addicted to trying something slippery and something sneaky that it's impossible for my partner to realize when that might happen and therefore you know potentially move into a position to handle a counterpunch and that that causes issues being that i don't want to say unreliable but uh, unpredictable i guess is the word yeah but i think the left side the whole who should be on the left side kind of thing is a real tricky matrix i know when i used to play with marson and i don't know if you ever played against him he kind of uh, when you were coming in his knees were starting to get replaced very often uh, a shocking amount of knee replacements really for a person with the traditional number of legs he seemed to have at least three or four <laughs> knee replacements. But having me on the left, and he was a stronger player, longer reach, fantastic hands, you know, a real all-rounder. But having me on the left allowed me to play a lot of third-shot drives and allow him to disconnect forward and be menacing up the kitchen line. So if it was the other way around and it was him driving a lot of those third balls kind of down the middle, then I wouldn't have been able to do as good a job as the baker in the, the shake-and-bake scenario. Yeah. So yeah, there's pros and cons to both of it, but if you two can figure out how to play equally well both sides, then yeah, you've cracked the code. Yeah, for us, it's, we're a bit of a bigger team out there, maybe more athletic as a combination. And we, you know, we obviously come straight from tennis, So, and like I said, we're so new to this still. Yeah, our biggest thing is just to, like I said, take the tennis out of it and just be a little more patient. You know, you sometimes in tennis, you think you can hit a winner, which most likely 99% of the time you would hit a winner, but in pickleball, that thing comes back. Mm. And it's very difficult to hit winners. Really, it's almost more like chess. Who's going to make the first mistake and uh, who's going to maybe even attack an unattackable ball too early and uh, having to hit up and then you kind of punch down. So the, the more patient we've gotten, the better our results have gotten. And that's just, just by playing the game more and seeing the game more. Yeah. It takes a toll though, doesn't it? I mean, if you commit to trying to outlast a player in a long drawn out cross-court dink rally and everyone's moving each other around, you know, you're no stranger to the cramp as I myself and 
Tyson and you know a handful of other top players that are just kind of genetically born to be you know, sweaters. You sweat with the best of them, there's no doubt about it. And it's cost you in the past, fairly recently in Delray. Is it something you're going to be able to you know, get past? Is there a, an easy, uh, relatively easy solution? Or is it something that you just felt you didn't hydrate well enough or particular muscle groups that are generally tight for you? As a tennis player, I think your hamstrings are naturally probably more tight. You're always supposed to be on your toes, so you always engage your quads more than your than you get the counterpart, the hamstrings. Mm. And that's always been then, you know, then it kind of affects your back, obviously, and your glutes with that and your calves a little bit. So the older I get, the more I actually have to prepare for this and stretch more and, and just be aware of my body and how it feels. And the one thing I used to never take in consideration was even though the time difference might just be an hour or two, flying, you know, dehydrates you a fair amount. I mean, I just have to make sure that I just drink like a bloody water buffalo you know, as much as I can to just hydrate and hydrate. And, you know, Delray in particular, having that long, long 12-plus-hour day in uh, to the gold medal match and men's, I think that's what did, did me in, honestly, for the mix because I just could not rehydrate enough. Even though I drank a lot the night before, I just couldn't hydrate enough anymore. And it was hot and, uh, you know, being indoors and coming from a colder climate, you know, seeing that heat not being climatized really to that. Yet, it's more about my preparation, to be honest, and making sure I have certain supplements that would help me through those grueling tournament days because you don't get much rest. You know, you're, you barely get enough time to go to the bathroom, honestly, between matches, especially if you lose at some point. You have to, you know, fight three, four matches back through the back drawer to get back into the, into the middle rounds. Yeah, I think sports science has got a little bit of work to do to come up with a product that is kind of specific for pickleball. You know, tennis players generally they're at a top level especially they're playing one match a day and sometimes one match every every second day so there's plenty of time for the body to rehydrate properly and sometimes it still plagues them but for pickleball players you know their rest time as you mentioned is so minimal the human body is not the most efficient thing at handling and absorbing hydration that's why you'll see quite a lot of people adding in different protein you'll see chocolate milk stuff that coconut water with chocolate milk because that extra protein helps the body absorb up to 85 90% of the of the liquid whereas just water alone sometimes 50 60% is all you're getting and a lot of these electrolyte drinks you know they talk a good game but it's kind of down to the body to be able to do it well enough and if you've got 4 minutes before Melissa McCurley tells you you got to go on court it sometimes just isn't enough time. So I wish they would allow like a safety first uh, IV drip on the corner there as a preventative as opposed to just when you're down at the Texas Open and 120 people have gone through the paramedics because, well, they couldn't do it beforehand. I think that's one thing that you think about. What I also understand is, you know, there's certain time pressure throughout this trying to get the event done and, not, and making it fair to everybody where you don't have to wait three, four hours. I remember... The first PBA this year in Arizona, I mean, there was twice where we, Joss and I just played Tyson and Riley in between that match and our next match with Kyle and Matt. We had like a two and a half hour wait. And then after that again, we had another hour and a half, two hour wait. I understand that in wanting to have certain matches out on center court for TV and for the sponsorships and the viewership, I totally get that. But you've got to think about the play a little bit too in that regard, maybe making it two viewership courts where you can just put them on like they did in Delray, with, you know. So. Yeah. It was kind of nice to see that evolution there, and I, that might be a at least for the you know for the near future. I think that's a recipe to kind of nip that sponsorship and viewership potential crutch in the butt. Mm. You're still going to have the public eye on it all around the country, or you know maybe even the world wherever 
people stream it from. But yeah. But again, it's just it's tough because you have so many matches back to back to back. You just want to get it done, but it, it's never going to be a fair formula for it. And one team might have to wait an hour. One team might have to wait two and a half hours. There's never yeah. going to be a fair formula, but you, you can only be trying to get better each time. I think. Yeah. Do you think there's a, a good cause to switch to a one event over two days kind of format? I would say yes. But then it becomes, again, you know, if you don't, like myself, if you have a full-time job out of sight of pickleball, then, you know, how much time can you actually take off, right? Because mm. you want to arrive the day before if possible. Yeah. To at least maybe play a couple of balls, get used to the elements. You know, it's so different playing in California versus playing in Florida or even going indoors. I mean, there's so many different nuances there. And you, want, you, you need a little bit of time to get used to it. For sure. We're going to hold it just briefly there with Pat for a medium tip. Brought to you by Coach Me Pickleball. It's that time of the year again, people. It's the US Open. Which means one thing. Excruciating cramps, game-debilitating cramps, tear-jerking, IV-inducing cramps. Ah, what can you do? Plenty of fluids, right? Jam enough electrolytes down your pie hole to reanimate Thomas Edison. Mm, I wish it was that simple. Now let's talk about one of the most common mistakes people make, overhydrating. Hyponatremia is a very real and dangerous condition characterized by low blood sodium levels. If you're losing fluids while training or playing and replacing them but not replacing the associated lost sodium, i.e. just drinking water or a low sodium sports drink, then you will run the serious risk of hyponatremia. Please believe I don't want to say that word any more than I have to, but it's apparently quite important. The thing is, your body does an incredible job regulating the all-important sodium levels to keep them around an optimal 135 to 145 millimoles per litre. I know it's a lot to digest, pun intended, but bear with me. The main thing just prior to a tournament is to monitor your thirst and urine colour. Straw colour is good. Ash is bad. But so is clear. Large amounts of clear urine tells you that you may have flushed out too much of the helpful vitamins and minerals, such as sodium, out of your system. The result being possible hyponatremia, which means headaches, confusion, and sometimes much, much worse can result. So please take it seriously. Okay, enough of that. Let's head back over to Pat and see what's going on. This is one of the growing pains of the birth of professional pickleball. Right now, we talk about pickleball in a professional sense, but if you were to compare it to other professional sports where the athletes involved are literally only doing that one thing, and therefore an event over two days or three days, fantastic. It's just better for the level of competition. Everyone is going to be able to be properly hydrated, better prepared, and so on and so forth. I'm kind of surprised. You know, I remember... One of the first times I've ever played, and actually we played that event, first round, I think, you and mm. Tyson, Russell and I, yeah. and it was TOC a couple of years ago. Last year, see that happened pre-COVID, which was our second tournament ever, I believe. Mm. And uh, we actually had to qualify. So, you know, there's so many matches now that, you know, I've probably, I don't know, played 20 pro events now, and that was the only time there was a qualifying event. But there's been plenty of times where, you know, you come out, you win the first couple of rounds, lose a couple of points in these games, you know, 11-1, you 11-3, 3-0, those kind of things. And I understand that you want as many people in these events as possible, mm. alone for the registration fee to make this work, to run these tournaments, it requires money. I totally understand that. 
but maybe capping it at 32. Yeah. And having, you know, if there's 40, 45 signups, having a qualifying event the day before, like they did at TSC that one time, we had yeah. to play three matches to qualify or two matches to qualify. That will be better. I guess, in general. No, I agree for sure. And I think it's going to be a necessary uh, step in the right direction as the game grows and we have so many up-and-coming players, which is, you know, what's happening right now. They need a place to be, but they shouldn't necessarily deserve a spot in a a main draw just because they uh, signed up as a 5-0 player. You know, that's the thing. You know, Delray was very interesting. And this is not to dog on anybody's ability, but our first round, we had a bye. And then the first round that we had, Joss and I won pretty easily. And the team that we played won their first round one and one or something extremely easy, right? Right, wow. So again, the other teams might have just had a bad day. Okay? Mm. Nervous, first round jitters, whatever it is. But there's also the other part of that spectrum where maybe they should have not played the pro event. Maybe you should have played the 5-0 event or the 4-5 event, right? Because you can enter no matter what you want to enter. And I think that experience is valuable for every player to try it out. 100%, but I think that's where maybe a qualifying bracket would help out to just make people understand where they're at in terms of competition. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, you, you pay all this, this amount of money for the entry fee for the pro event. I personally would take the wind out of my sails if I would play and pay all this money first, you know, a couple hundred bucks each time, and then I would barely win a point. It would kind of be a little bit deflating for, for sure. me personally. I think the same thing, but uh, how many of us would agree to, uh, you know, if if someone said, well, yes, you get to play Wimbledon, but you're playing Federer first round. You know, most people would be like, yep, I'll take that for sure. That'd be an amazing experience. Perhaps some people are thinking the same thing, knowing that they'll come in as possibly the lowest seed and encounter players such as yourselves. And they, they may feel like, well, this is like a, a lesson. I'm paying for a lesson and I'll see just where I'm at versus the people they're used to playing back home. I mean, right or wrong, right now, there isn't a definitive mechanism to stop those people from doing that. And it won't take long. You know, I think once there is a reliable 32 teams that everyone can look at and say, yep, no one's going to beat any of those other teams 11-0, 11-0. There's always going to be something that'll look good on television when any of those teams play each other. When that happens, when that day comes, then, yeah. I think we would have really grown and we could say we're, we're there. And I think even more so when those 32 teams, 64 players, all are doing it as a job, playing pickleball, training as pickleball players, traveling around, have media responsibilities, teaching if they need to, but aren't necessarily having to go back to a very different full-time job, which we'll get to in your world in just a moment. Then I think professional pickleball has, has actually arrived. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I totally agree. This podcast was powered by Selkirk. This podcast is also brought to you by the next generation of Selkirk Paddle, the Vanguard. That's all we've got time for, folks. I'm Morgan Evans, and this has been More or Less Pickleball. And you'll be like, hey, and I'll be like, hey.